You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 143. I think a lot of the problem that we find in coaching work is that people assume, hey, look, I'm an expert. I have an advanced degree. I have years of experience in the industry. Well, that means I'm an effective communicator on the subject. No, not necessarily. And you don't learn emotional intelligence in business school. You don't really learn how to deal with anxiety in business school. These are things that have to be learned through practice and repetition. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello there. It's great to have you here. Welcome to the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, executive and mentor coach and coach educator. And for those of you who are regular listeners, you know that Star Coaches is an acronym for strategies, tools, and resources for professional coaches. Each and every week, we share a different strategy for you to build your business or your skills or connect you with different resources to help you build that business, build your skills, connect with different tools and things that you might use to help your clients reach their goals, connect with a different resource that might help you help them gain insight. Well, I am continually impressed with what coaches are doing, with how we are bringing what we do to the forefront and how experienced coaches are creating resources for other coaches to use. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about in today's show. I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Robert Schaefer and Susan Steinbrecher at a ICF luncheon. They were presenting their work to the coaches at the North Texas luncheon, and their work was so important that I really wanted to bring it forward to the audience here. Now, today we're being joined by Dr. Robert Schaefer. He is the Vice President of Client Services at Steinbrecher and Associates. He's been with them since 2005 as a consultant, an executive coach, a leadership development expert. He's also a statistical analyst. He's a research scholar, which I think you'll be able to gather from our interview together. And Susan and Robert have written a new book, Meaningful Alignment, Mastering Emotionally Intelligent Interactions at Work and in Life. And what is so important about their work is the concept of dialogue and how we have ongoing dialogue with others, as do our clients. And that dialogue is not always easy. In this interview, Robert and I talk about what 
Susan and Robert refer to as the inside game, how we regulate our own emotions and how we show up in those conversations, particularly conversations with difficult people. So in our conversation, we're going to be talking about the Meaningful Alignment book, the motivating drives that we have as people in our interactions with others, the assessment that Robert and Susan have created that, by the way, you can take yourself for free. The link for that is in the show notes at starcoachshow.com. In the notes for this episode, there is a link to be able to take this fantastic assessment about our motivators, about the way that we dialogue with others, what our patterns and biases might be. So you will want to take advantage because this assessment won't be for free forever, but it's for free right now. So at the end of the interview, be sure that you go to starcoachshow.com and check out the show notes for this episode, as well as our resource page at starcoachshow.com to access the link to be able to take the assessment. Robert and I spend time looking at the inside game, the motivators that we have. And then next week, we're going to be joined by Susan Steinbrecher to talk about the outside game, about the way that organizations can use this information, the way that they benefit from sharing this perspective with their people. And Susan will share some specific ways that they integrate this program in organizations. It is such powerful information, both what Dr. Robert Schaefer is going to share with us today, as well as you're going to want to come back next week to hear Susan Steinbrecher share another aspect of this same work. So I'm not going to make you wait anymore. Let's go to our interview with Dr. Robert Schaefer. Robert, welcome to the Star Coach Show. Thanks for fitness into your day. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. I've been so excited. So for the audience, I saw Robert talk at the ICF North Texas meeting in June. His work just really spoke to me. We actually, as you'll know from the intro, we are having his partner on an additional show to share more information about what we're going to talk about today. But Robert, today we are going to focus on a part of Meaningful Alignment, which is a new book you've written, Meaningful Alignment, Mastering Emotionally Intelligent Interactions at Work and in Life. Not that any of us need to do that. Or the authors too, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, you know, because you, you guys know it by heart, right? You never make a mistake in this area. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about what motivated you to write the book. Yeah. So Susan and myself, we developed the program because of what we were seeing in the world around us. So we all can feel the emotional intensity and difficulty of the big social divide politically, for instance. There are a lot of other things too, though, that 
that are causing some of the problems that we were seeing and it's showing up in our coaching work as well. I think a lot of this has to do with the information age. So a lot of people are struggling as parents, as students, as coworkers, as bosses to really kind of make sense and navigate the rapid change of the information age, the digital age, especially the smartphone age, where there is a lot of multitasking command demands. There's a lot of what we call emotional stress placed on us that causes us perhaps to not be so good in difficult situations, social situations where emotional composure is required. So we feel, hey, we should put, we should be the ones to put together the program that's a salve for the things that are causing us pain. And that's kind of the intent of Meaningful Alignment, the, not both the program and the book. It is kind of meant to be, I'll say, a response of loving kindness and support okay. to the difficulties that we see in the world. And when you say Meaningful Alignment, what did that mean to the two of you? You know, we went through quite a bit, a branding expert. We had think tanks with a lot of our colleagues to come up with, well, what do we call this program? And we were saying things like, so what is the, what is a great term for when you're trying to connect to someone in a meaningful way and really align with them? So we had to go, well, how about meaningful alignment? And the thing about the word alignment is we really liked that because the goal is not to find agreement with people who are difficult. That may be impossible. Mm-hmm. And it's not reasonable. It's not reasonable to expect that of ourselves either. But alignment is about reaching a place of understanding, respect, and having deeper insight and appreciation for the other person and for ourselves too. So there's an internal aspect of alignment, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the composure element and the emotional regulation element. And then there's also the ability to appreciate the perspective of the other person, the needs of the other person, and the motivations that they might be carrying into a conversation so that we don't fall into the quick miscommunication that often defines the social divide that we face today. So in this program, you and Susan have the book, and then you created this learning program that's all around building communication this emotional intelligence that we've been talking about. And it consists of two parts, the inside game and the outside game. We today are going to primarily focus on the inside game. And Susan and I will focus on the outside game in her interview. What can you tell us just about the program as a whole and how that works? Yeah. So when we think about improving our emotional intelligence, for instance, and our communication ability, there are really two elements to it. And one of it is going back to the the Socratic command of know thyself. So a lot of it is about understanding how I show up in, in the social dimension. So the ten, my tendency to use specific words to show nonverbal communication to my body through, through, and also the tone of my voice, the agendas that I tend to carry into interactions Those things are habitual. Sometimes they're maybe at best semi-conscious. And we also kind of have a regulatory habits. Some of us are kind of one-trick ponies on how we manage or or regulate our internal emotional world. And so we kind of miss out on a wider tool set of things that are available to us. So the assessment and the purpose of the interpersonal dialogue profile, which is the name of the assessment, Mm -hmm. Help people come to a a deeper appreciation 
for their particular dialogue style and their approach to communication. And to conflict. I remember when I took it, I was in that place of, ooh, all my conflict avoidance was coming up left and right as I was answering questions. That's right. You know, so there is an element of conflict avoidance. We kind of call it dialogue avoidance or dialogue engagement. Because I think sometimes people focus too much on what will end up becoming conflict. And we're kind of rolling things way upstream to what are those intense little triggers inside of us that kind of prevent us from leaning into that conversation to begin with. To bring reticence and nervousness or anxiousness or anger or different kinds of emotion into the conversation So it's way before we even get to necessarily a conflict. Mm -hmm. It is really the kind of the the turmoil internal world of our feeling and sensation that is really going to lead us to either conflict or fight or flight kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Or fight, flight, or freeze. And so a lot of times having that clarity of how I show up and understanding my dialogue style, my preferred approach And to understand a little bit about how intense I feel my world physically and emotionally, Mm -hmm. well, that really empowers me to know what work I need to focus on and to really be sensitive to how people might be receiving me without without me meaning to, to send those signals. You know, I don't mean to sound bossy or, you know, black and white or demanding or or avoidant, or overly cautious. But that is indeed probably the signals I'm sending people. Is that what I want? Well, you know, we, as we know in our coaching work, a lot of times when we receive feedback from peers, from bosses, sometimes some of us even collect data on personal friends and family, we understand that these things really have an impact on how effective that person is in their work. So you mentioned the interpersonal dialogue profile. I talked about the fact that I took it and some things came up for me. And the dialogue that you're talking about, I can see the coaches in our audience being intrigued by how am I showing up, but I also can really see that being helpful for our clients' understanding. Am I being perceived in a way I don't mean to be perceived? Am I behaving in a way that I wasn't even aware of. So can you tell us a little bit more about the interpersonal dialogue profile and what it is that it reveals for people? Yeah. So first of all, I do encourage everybody to take the interpersonal dialogue profile and you can take it for free by going to idp.meaningfulalignment.com forward slash registration. So idp.meaningfulalignment.com forward slash registration. When you kind of do the name, rank, serial number, and I'm not a robot, it it will automatically send you a password to log in and you can take the assessment and you can get the results right away through PDF right when you're finished submitting it. So that's kind of cool. That's very cool. We do believe that because we use the IDP for every executive coaching engagement we do. It is a very powerful tool that will help the coach and the client connect the dots between the behaviors that are showing up in the workplace, the development goals of the engagement, and kind of like the work that needs to be done and why. And there's a deeper ownership of some of the behavior. There's a more appreciation and more accountability 
because I can really, you know, there's a gentleness to appreciating. You know, that really is me. I'm very direct and I'm very frank. I cut, sometimes I cut to the chase too quickly and to the bone too quickly. You know, I don't mean to be that way. I'm trying to be helpful. I'm trying to be clear. I'm trying to make sure there's no miscommunication, but I could probably push people into being quiet. And I really do want to hear their thoughts. I do want to know what their feelings are and what their reactions are. And I'm afraid that I might be closing them off now. So it really provides them with a nice way of appreciating oneself, but also seeing the work that can be done. How are your clients? How is this assessment landing on them? I have to say that being the natural skeptic that I am, I went into this worried that this wouldn't have, you know, really good front face validity, coaching engagement. Boy, I will tell you, I have been extremely happy with how my clients are responding to this and how it really feels like, wow, this really is me. This is how I show up in, in, in when, I'm, when I'm in one-on-ones with my people, when I'm leading a meeting. Wow, even at home, this is my wife or my husband, they would tell you that is exactly how I show up. And so it's really been powerful because, of course, most of the time when we're doing executive coaching work, it is soft skill development, it is communication issues, it is the ability to lead effectively, to motivate, to inspire, to encourage people in a way that brings them closer to us rather than farther apart. Mm -hmm. that builds commitment, not just I'll go along with it because I have to because you're my boss, but rather because I want to, that voluntary aspect of transformational leadership. Those are the things that are really in the sweet spot of the coaching work. And so this really helps drive a lot of those most common denominators of all coaching work, I think. So that's what I found, and, and I found that the assessment is really a powerful tool. You know, we focus a lot, and Susan will get to this with the outside game, on, on building practice, because I think a lot of the problem that we, ha- that we find in coaching work is that people assume, hey, look, I'm an expert, I have an advanced degree, I have years of experience in the industry. Well, that means I'm an effective communicator on the subject. No, not necessarily. And... You don't learn emotional intelligence in business school. You don't really learn how to deal with anxiety in business school. These are things that have to be learned through practice and repetition. So you talk about the outside game and the inside game. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about the factors that are involved when we think about the inside game. Mm. So in in the model for meaningful alignment, there are four, what I'll kind of call first order factors, major areas. And they represent the work that we do, which we call mental model identification. So this came about because Susan and I went through stacks and stacks and stacks of historical coaching engagements to kind of look for matching themes. And we found these four major areas where everybody's what we call mental model or operational way of seeing the world and communicating to people and, you know, kind of interpreting what is being said to back to them by other people. So there's these drives and one of them is control. Another is achievement. The third one is affiliation. And the fourth one is security. This matches a lot of historical academic work on the issue of motivating drives like McClelland. Um, But we kind of found that was really remarkable is that all of our clients' mental models kind of fell neatly into one of these four categories. So the control factor. Yeah. That's, you know, 
a lot of leaders, a lot of executive leaders, a lot of you know, people who are in kind of a powerful position feel that they have a need to make sure that their vision is being respected and, and lived up to. So there's a lot of elements of wanting to control conversations. And some of this, again, actually a lot, a large segment of this is unconscious and unintentional. So we have a habit of kind of, hey, this works for me. If I really push people, I kind of get what I want. So I've learned to be very direct, very bold, cut to the chase, black and white, just give me the executive summary, I'll make a decision. Your job is to execute it. So there's a lot of control language, a lot of close-ended statements, a lot of language that leads people to say, yes, sir, no, sir. Right. This is, don't you agree? Yeah, my way or the highway. And what happens is the stronger the emotion is behind the conversation, the more likely we are to move into a place where it becomes my way or the highway, especially if I'm getting pushback. So So that's that's all under that control umbrella. Yes. And all of them operate in the same way. The more emotion and the power of affect, underlying affect is, the more likely that our main mental model is going to be triggered. So another one is achievement. And we see this probably, I'd say maybe half of our executive coaching clients have a mental model for achievement. It's all about results. It's all about progress. It is all about getting it done, checking the box. And really, the problem there is when that becomes so dominant, then the end always justifies the means. I mean, it's because there's such a drive to move the peg forward, (laughs) to solve the problem, to get the task accomplished, to get the mission done, that we can sometimes trample on people. We can be exhausting. We can be perfectionistic. We can forget that not everybody's values are the same as ours and that not everybody's priorities are the same as ours. So there can be a lot of disconnect, especially in in organizations where I rely on other departmental leaders to collaborate to get work Mm -hmm. done. They might have a different set of priorities than I do and I can misinterpret pushback as not being on board and all these other kinds of I can mis- I can misinterpret intention and uh, kind of looking yeah. through that lens of should or must or how I would do it or do it my way or yeah well do it my way or the highway is sort of control but just that sense of if you were as as good as I was kind of thing or if you were caring as much as I was. So so with that saying yes to everything, and I would think that that actually also would influence other relationships as well outside of work. I do want to go over the other two, but I am curious how you find that your work with people in the workplace opens their eyes about their behaviors out of the workplace. Yeah. So, you know, a real common one is when we find an executive that has a very strong achievement mental model, they will, upon reflection, notice, and I'll just use the, I will go ahead and and use a stereotype because it will be easier to kind of communicate it. So you can think of the husband that goes home, their spouse had kind of a difficult situation, and they're just seeking to be listened to. They're seeking for a soft ear. They're seeking to kind of, can you empathize with me, right? But instead, the person who's so driven by achievement is going to solve the problem. Well, here's your problem. Here's why that happened. 
You know, you never, have you ever considered the other person might've been feeling this way? Cause they're so thinking uh, they're in that problem solving mode and that progress mode that they forget that they didn't want that. All the person wanted was to be understood. And that actually was the problem they were hoping you would solve, but you were too busy on the technical aspect of it, not the personal aspect of it. So that's a real common one. And then they can go, well, how often do I do this with people? Do I kind of trample on what their actual needs are in favor of my agenda and getting my agenda accomplished? What a helpful example. Good. Okay. So you've talked about control and achievement. What's another of those core sort of dimensions or dynamics? You know, uh, so another one is what we call affiliation. And I remember seeing this in, there was one dot-com VP marketing that had such a, a powerful affiliation drive. And this, and his mental model statement, we kind of formed this into a statement because it's very powerful, is what have you done for me lately? And so this is, I know I did a good job because you told me I did. I know that we're sound because the numbers suggested. I know that I'm doing a good job because, and it's a high external validity orientation. And this is specifically true as it relates to the response that people give. And so relationships are paramount to the person of high affiliation needs. The quality of relationships, the fact that everybody's satisfied, the fact that everybody's health, health, happy and healthy, that really is the, the, the alpha and the omega for the person with an affiliation drive. And we see this a lot in hospitality leadership, hotels and restaurants, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. I mean, the reason that we engage in these mechanisms is because they're, they're useful to us. We are successful because of them. They are intelligent. They are productive. They get us results, and so we stick with it. Mm -hmm. And so the problem, of course, with putting so much emphasis on the external validation is that you really become a sail in the wind. And there is, you know, so the work we do with people that have a very high affiliation need is to really help bolster the idea of, I am valid because I know I'm valid. You know, that, that kind of in, that internal locus of control, we're trying to build on that. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is security. And security is a really interesting one. And we, we see it emerging more and more and more through the years as we look at our data because I think that in a world of constant change, of constant interruption, of constant attend, uh kind of competition for our attention, Mm -hmm. we end up adopting highly protective routines and mechanisms that are not just protective of self, but protective of our department, of our function, of our business, of our home, of our privacy. All of these things are leading us to have a response to it that we kind of call a security response. So it's, it's careful, it's methodological, it's re- approaching other people with some skepticism. It is, now, if I understood you right, Meg, d- did you mean A or did you mean B? It is, I'm going to, I'm, one of my things is kind of like it's that, it's that old carpenter's rule of measure twice and cut once, mm-hmm. but it's, it's carried over into the social dimension. I'm going to make sure that I really need to tell you more before I just tell you more. 
you know, can I trust you? I don't know yet. You have to earn my trust. You have to prove it to me. Now, of course, the stronger, like all of these, Mm -hmm. the stronger that drive is felt internally, the more likely it is to not be quite as constructive as we'd like it to be. And this is true with all of them, right? So, you know, we can make people feel disrespected or discounted or, you know, that we can get back the same level of distrust that we're projecting. We use all four of them. We have all these four resonate with us for a reason because they are perfectly human. But some of us really use them as themes, themes in in the social dimension. And again, at work and at home. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, the four that we... So that sort of makes up a piece of that inside game. One of the things that I know you do is you teach the importance of mindfulness and and different kinds of practices to increase the emotional intelligence so that we better deal with the way we're showing up, I would think. So tell us a little bit about how our ability to perceive, use, manage these emotions is better and, and how the mindfulness practices help with that. So we emphasize emotional regulation, that aspect of emotional intelligence quite a bit in our work and in our program and in our workshop. And the reason for that is like in my own research, I found that of all of the factors of emotional intelligence, the one that really predicted leadership effectiveness and effective leader behavior was regulating emotions, that managing emotions element. So that became a real focus in our program. So mindfulness is really valuable and gratitude work and some other tools of positive psychology because they are going to help us expand the space, that gap, that synaptic gap between the stimulus and our response to it. So we basically have two major wishes that we we could wave a magic wand. Here are the things we'd be, we, we would make manifest in the social dimension of our life. One, I could expand the time between the stimulus, like somebody saying something that pisses me off, <laughs> and my response to that event. The other thing I wish I could do is when I do choose to be emotional about something, how much emotion do I convey, project, feel? So it's controlling. That's that regulatory, that regulation mm-hmm. emotion. And, and this is true even when I'm empathizing with you to really make sure that my, that my, that transactionally my empathy is useful and productive and successful and beneficial to you. I also have to be sensitive of how much I, uh, of your own emotion I project back. So for instance, if you're really sad, it's useful, very useful for me to empathize with you by reflecting back some of your sadness. Mm -hmm. But if I reflect back an equal amount of sadness, I'm not really helping you that much. Right. So, so, So if I can regulate that, and show you like a mirror, your sadness. But what if I just regulated it down a bit so that I wasn't quite as sad? Well, I might actually cheer you up. This, that's the kind of things that highly emotional, intelligent people are able to do that those that the rest of us are just really jealous about is the ability to really use emotion, wield it like a, like a weapon, like a, like a black belt with their, with their emotions. And so we use mindfulness because over time, there's tons of research on mindfulness now in the workplace. And what people are finding is that it is helping them not just to manage stress, 
but to be more effective in the moment at handling emotions that arise in common work interactions. So I had one client that the reason that I was involved got roped into the engagement. Got was, roped in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was one of those days a person was sent to coaching, right? Yes, yes. So this uh, person had a habit of lashing out when there was an ad hoc meeting and the person was put on the spot. And so we really did this kind of work over and over and over again and with a lot of intensity to practice the ability to manage emotion. And so we focused on, on first of all, Gratitude work is very powerful. So if I know there's a difficult person at work and I begin my morning by doing gratitude practice with that person in mind, Mm -hmm. offering them, you know, wishing them peace, wishing them happiness, wishing them balance, wishing them health. And what happens is when I see them that I have that carrying over. And now I'm approaching that person, even though they're difficult, I'm in, I have a goodwill energy and it comes across in, in how I'm sound and my body language and everything. And it, it's a game changer. But the well, other, yeah, because it's going to land differently on that other person who 100%. is probably not used to being engaged that way if they're difficult on a regular basis. Yes. And so a regular practice of mindfulness. But what I mean by that is like twice a day to actually sit and do like breathing meditation. We call mindfulness meditation or Vipassana. So the reason we do that, we work with people and, and encourage them to adopt that practice is because then when you're called upon to be emotional, you have all of a sudden a lot more resources available to you and to your mind because you have lengthened that space between the response and the stimulus simply by de-escalating where you're at right now. So we have this term we call equanimity. And what Mm -hmm. we're doing through mindfulness work is we're harnessing equanimity. And equanimity is the ability to be composed in the moment in a neutral place and to respond to stimuli from a neutral place. So again, when we talked about the, the IDP showing us our dialogue patterns, where our percentile scores are high, that's going to represent a source of quick like kind of a super highway of triggers. So when we engage in mindfulness, we're kind of dissolving the power of those triggers and taking our body and our mind to center cord so that we have more range in communication style. We have more options available to us in the way that we choose to respond to people and the way that we choose to respond to what they say internally too. So when we start from a more neutral and calm place, Mm -hmm. it takes a lot more energy to set off those triggers versus if we kind of carry those triggers already from a moment of being stressed and activated. Oh, so important and such a great way you described how we can regulate in a far more meaningful and mindful fashion. One of the things that you've talked about several times, and you just talked about in that, but I'm wondering if you have more information to share about other things that we can do to improve our core ability to stay composed ourselves when we're dealing with difficult people. So you talked about that mindfulness. I'm just wondering 
if there's anything else that we can do to kind of increase our own emotional intelligence or, or to be in that place of better control with difficult people. The truth is, Robert, we're going to bump into difficult people in our life. Yes, we are, all of us. And we're going to be difficult people once in a while, too, without meaning to be. So that's well, another Except thing for you and know. me, but everybody well, else. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, in the program, what we teach are these more longer-term understanding of, of regulation habits. So mindfulness and gratitude work and other things like that, other tools like that being kind of the building resilience, but also taking a look at our current set of regulation habits. Some of them are adaptive. Some of them are maladaptive. So a lot of people catastrophize and ruminate and they do think they have these emotional habits, these cognitive habits that lead to negative emotional outcomes. So there's a second element that really deals with how adaptive versus maladaptive are your current set of self-regulation strategies. Then the third piece are transactional in the moment tools. So a lot of times we are caught off guard, we're in a conversation, we haven't been doing our meditation, we haven't been, and we are having to deal in real time with tactical issues. And so we teach things like take your attention, remind yourself, take your attention and move it to your breath. So you are in in that moment. Now the person's not going to realize it, this is all going on inside of you but you are taking your attention away from what the person is necessarily saying in that moment. Mm -hmm. If you feel that sensation, you start to feel that fire burning, right? That, that anxiety flaring and just focus on inhale and exhale. Another is to make sure that we pause and not talk. Another one is, and one of my favorite is we call deflection. So one of the great techniques that we teach if somebody is is really being a difficult person in a business meeting, if you take out a notepad and you start write, taking notes on what they're saying, it's, that does two things. One, you are letting that person know, I'm taking what you're saying very seriously. I'm making sure I capture it methodically and because and, you know, you're important to me. But the other thing it's doing is it's giving your anxiety a physical place to rest your hand. So... You know, a lot of of just taking notes can move the anxiety off of center, off of core, and, and into your arm, and into the motion, yeah, and into the tangible thing you're doing, and it, and it really is a kind of a shock absorber. How do your clients respond to these kinds of uh, tools and techniques that you're helping them learn to regulate? You know, they, they respond pretty well. And the reason being is that, you know, I think it, it really doesn't dawn on people. So let me start off by saying this. A lot of people who are in fairly high level positions, they usually don't suffer from a small ego. And, and, that's, and I say that in a good way. I mean, right. you know, they're, they're accomplished people. They're smart. They're capable. They've received you know, a lot of accolades in their career. They've accomplished a lot of things. So yeah, they should. They have a reason to feel pretty good about themselves. But this is not going to be this work, emotional intelligence work, that composure work, the reg- the internal self-regulation work, the ability to communicate effectively when the stakes are high. This is not a side effect of getting a degree 
or a side effect of being a great engineer or a side effect of being a superb operator. It has to be learned on its own. And that's why, you know, this resonates with so many of our clients because unfortunately, they've never invested any time into this kind of skill building. And they never really realized just how separate it is from all the other things they're good at doing. Right. Oh, such important work. And I am so appreciative that you took the time to share just a piece because I know we could we could talk and talk and talk about all that there is that the research shows us that that the work that you've done with executives over the years has shared or that you're sharing through the book. Uh, once again, the book is Meaningful Alignment, Mastering Emotionally Intelligent Interactions at Work and in Life. And our guest is Dr. Robert Schaefer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been lovely. And you're just so, so wonderful to talk with. Are we out of time already? It seemed like it, we were only talking for five minutes. I know. Who would have thunk it? It is amazing. Thank you. And continue doing your great work. Thank you, Meg. I am always impressed by what coaches are bringing forward to not just impact the coaching profession, but organizations, leadership development. It is continually mind-blowing and such an honor to be a part of this profession. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Robert Schaefer, about Steinbrecher and Associates, about the book, Meaningful Alignment, Mastering Emotionally Intelligent Interactions at Work and in Life, as well as the assessment, the program, all that goes with that. Go to starcoachshow.com in the show notes for this episode or on the resource page. You can get links for the book, links to take the assessment, which is currently a free assessment, and information about Susan Steinbrecher, and Dr. Robert Schaefer. I want to thank you for taking time to be with us this week. Every week that you join us, it means so much to me. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there, and I appreciate you taking time to be with us. If you're enjoying the show, please let other people know about the show, either by leaving a review wherever you listen to the show, or by forwarding an episode to a friend that you believe would be benefited by the show. You might take a screenshot of yourself listening to the show or, or the show as you're listening to it and post it on social media. Be sure that you use hashtag star coach show so that I know that you're out there and I can share your post with others and increase visibility for you. So until next week, when we have Susan Steinbrecher sharing the outside game with us. This is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.